Well, good afternoon. Thank you for being here today for this celebration, uh, if you will, uh, of the homecoming of John Kiptick, uh, a man who I think all of us were familiar with. We all loved him and appreciated him. And as I look out uh, over the congregation here, I see many, many of you who have uh, have been there to visit with John, and uh, I know that he appreciated it, and um, at the church we did too. So um, we're going to ha have a, this little service here, and, and partway through, there's a, an item in the bulletin that says eulogies. If anybody has anything to say concerning John, how he either touched your life or maybe um, something that he taught you, or um, maybe a funny story of some sort as a memory of John. Um, we'll give you an opportunity to share that. And um, I would tell you, I don't know if I told you this or not, but the words to all the songs are it's stuffed in the bulletin. I already told you that? Okay. Repetition is a key to learning. Uh, okay, with that in view, I'm going to ask George Kilpatrick to come up and give us a call to worship. Pastor John reminded me that this is not a time to ad-lib, but I just want to say, having looked at the bulletin for today, I know that John Kiptick would have wanted a call to worship our God as a beginning of the service where we come to remember John. Let's uh, read together on, uh, from Lamentations chapter 3. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Stand with me. Sing together. How great thou art.
that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it that on that cross my burden gladly buried he bled and died to take away my sin that great God and heavenly Father, we do together with the angels and all the heavenly hosts declare how great thou art. God, we are here to worship you. As we think about John Kiptick, he always was encouraging us to think of the Savior. And so now, God, we are indeed at this occasion thinking of our Savior, indeed how great thou art. God, we are here to, um, to think about John and the, and the life that he lived, the example he may have provided for us, how deeply he loved you, and to celebrate the fact that we sorrow but not as those without hope because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would bless our service here together, that we might be encouraged by one another, and that we might be encouraged through the scriptures. So we ask that you would hear our prayer as we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our strong Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Good afternoon. I will be reading um, from 1 Corinthians, uh, the 15th chapter, the 50th through the 57th verses where St. Paul wrote these words. 
Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then we will come about the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God as written by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, since in fact, after putting it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, but we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This is the word of God written by John in Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, 
and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, these words are faithful and true. I read from Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, the word of God. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no longer any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. Would you please stand with me? We're going to sing another one of John's favorites. But before I went to, to see John for the last time, I asked him, John, what can we sing that you love when we are celebrating your passing? And he said, these three songs, How Great Thou Art, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, Majesty. Will you sing with me? Great is thy faithfulness, 
opportunity for you. If, if John has been an influence in your life in one way or another, make you smile, taught you something, maybe a touching story, this would be a nice time to, to share that. So does anybody have anything they'd like to share with us? George? Well, there are at least two things that uh, come to mind when I think of John. Good many years ago, Pastor John uh, asked John Kiptick to uh, lead a part of the, the regular worship service. John read a short uh, section of scripture, and he always followed that up with a line or two from a hymn that connected. I thought it was terrific. I think it was a few years later, John correct me with details, but for a period of Quite a few years, John Kiptick also led a Sunday school class, a uh, very good class. He worked hard preparing, I know that. And I think the thing that impressed me the most, maybe stays with me the strongest, is John was a humble man. He had prepared for at least a week, but he would ask the people in the class if some point he made about a verse seemed right. He, he got people involved that way, and he, he was, you know, generally interested in uh, how other people understood what he was teaching. So those are just a couple of things that are strong memories of our friend John. Anybody else? Ron?
humble he was. He put the Lord first, others next, and himself. <clears throat> My tribute to one of Christ's fallen soldiers. John was my friend here at Bay and my mentor at Brookdale assisted living across the way. Although our friendship was quite brief, it left a significant impact on me. And this is how I remember John. You could call it precious memories. We were first introduced at church in early September of last year. The first thing I noticed was what a difficult struggle it was for John to attend the worship service. The fact that he was at church was an inspiration to the whole church body. I realized that his earthly tent was being taken down and that he would soon go to his new home that the Savior was preparing for him. Because the most menial tasks were a great burden for him, but he did not let that detour him from being a witness for the Lord and a blessing to us, the fellowship. John trusted everything to Jesus. I knew Jesus was his desire, his honor, and his glory. He found his rest and hope in Christ and Christ alone. He could say with Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I fondly remember John as a Christian <clears throat> who displayed a cheerful spirit so others would know the joy of the Lord was his strength. I looked toward seeing him at church on Sunday morning. He loved to sing the great old hymns and would struggle to get to his feet to join in the congregation in singing I always look at him back there, very moving. <clears throat> John was instrumental, initiating the Bay Presbyterian Bible study at Brookdale. He provided great leadership and counsel for me, ministering in an assisted living facility, and was persistent in establishing a successful study you could say he made it happen. I like to call it the John Kiptick Bible study. I remember when John was literally gasping for breath and he made sure he wanted to lead our prayer. He considered praying to our Heavenly Father as a great privilege. Prayer was always a priority at the conclusions of our phone conversations. His prayers for many, many of us, and those dear friends at Brookdale continue to be answered even though John has gone to higher ground. 
at my last visit, John was very heavily sedated. Yet, when I touched his bruised hand, was sticking out from underneath the blanket, and said his name, he opened that right eye, glanced up at me, smiled with that kiptic radiance. I can still see it. Our next visit will be on the hilltops of glory, singing together the everlasting song with all those surrounding the throne of grace. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and power and glory and dominion and might forever and ever. When the bells of heaven told for John Kiptick, his redeemer, his best friend, his Lord was there to carry him to glory, to ever be with the Lord, to the eternal resting place that Jesus has prepared for him. John is rejoicing with the redeemed today as he sits down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more growing old, but where there's joy everlasting. where there's no need for the sun or moon because the Lamb of God is the light thereof. This is our hope. It's what we long for, to be with the Lord where he is. Our Lord's last will and testament in John 17, high priestly prayer, he said this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Folks, when Jesus says, I will that they be with me, then with him we must be. So let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If they're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And to know to be absent from the Lord is present with the Lord. Somebody else? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have two. Dave, hang on just one second. Um, John, is it John? Dave. That's what I meant, Dave. 
usually, usually in this church, if your name is Dave, <laughs> you fit right in, so that's good. Hi, my name is David Rice, my wife Margaret, and I didn't prepare anything. I didn't realize that we could do this. But we've known John since about 1978 in Michigan. And we knew him through his wife, who was a real estate agent, who was our real estate agent six, seven times, I don't know, so many times. And um, got to know John. And as I've heard today, he is one of the kindest, most humble persons that I ever had the opportunity to meet. And he always had the same personality. He did not have an easy life. I could go into a lot of family issues and things. I won't. But it was not easy for John. But I don't care when I ever talked to him or heard him on the phone or he answered the phone, John was always the same. And uh, I will always remember that about him. He was kind. And uh, even though he rooted for the Tigers and other things like that, uh, he really was a great, wonderful person. And... Uh, I will miss him. Margaret will miss him. Uh, Margaret kept in touch with him better than I did at the end, mostly through phone. Um, but I'm sure he's up there and resting very peacefully. And I, it was an honor to have known him for the length of time we did. Thank you. Uh, I'm Dave Schaefer. Um, this is not prepared, but uh, it's one of those things that that, that comes out of, of my memory of him. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him over the last, uh, specifically the last three years, uh, you know, serving him uh, with, with his personal needs, uh, with supplies and stuff of that nature. And the church gave me the privilege of doing that. Uh, I, I look forward every was. It, Every, every, actually, every week we would always be doing something for him. Uh, every two weeks for sure for uh, the major supplies. And he always wanted me to go to Walmart to get everything. And he loved all the Walmart stuff. And uh, he, was, he was frugal, uh, uh, very frugal. Uh, but one thing I noticed, every time I went up there, I, I would carry this stuff in. And he would look at me like, like, why did you take so long to get here? I, I really wanted to see you. And I'm looking around, and, and he wasn't really good in Brookdale anyway. Uh, his mind was really sharp. He still could work the computer. He was really good with that. He could order stuff online through Amazon. you believe that? That guy could do that. But, but the thing that really impressed me the most outside of... Uh, was I look around and I see right where he normally sits on the chair that George got him, the, the one that uh, electric chair that sets him right up and he can, he can get right up. He loved that chair. And uh, it was broke for a while when we sent to California for a part. It took three weeks to get a piece of wire so, so that chair could work. But he waited for that and when I come he would rejoice. But to, the, to his left, uh, he had a uh, like a coffee table sort of arrangement. He kept his Bible there, and he had a, a more than one type of uh, 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 a reading aid, uh, devotional, 
he would get some of the stuff that we keep on the credenza there uh, today in the Word. And I would look at this stuff, and it was all in the, it was all there. It was all open to the last page he did. But he would highlight. He would go through the daily devotions and highlight with a highlight pen. The, and that's where his mind was all the time. And it was so frustrating for him to be stuck in, in Brookdale because they didn't, uh, they did, I guess, the best they could. To, uh, but I would find it really hard myself to be there. Uh, but he was, he was okay with it. Uh, I would bring him his stuff and he'd put it away and he'd love gala apples. I'd get him a, a three-pound thing every two weeks of gala apples, three pounds. He would eat them things. Uh, and no, no other brand. If you get another brand, you just send me away. But, but the, uh, I'll make it quick. Uh, the last, when, when Jan and I first started coming to the church, we met him. We started coming about 2015. Is, is, it, at that point, we were still snowbirds. And he would sit right about there or right on that corner right there before we would do the call to worship that George was telling me about. And every time I'd come into church, I'd see him there reviewing what he was going to do. And he'd look up to me, and I'd say, George, I, I, love it. I love the things that you do for the service. And, and he says, I do it for the Lord. And I said, George, I will always serve you. And I says, I don't care about any, anybody else. I said, I'm coming to see you. I'm going to serve you. And I had no idea that I would be spending any time running supplies to him for years, even through COVID. I'd have to take COVID tests to get up to see him. You know? And so, but the, but the idea his mind was on Christ, his mind was on God's word. And, um, and we prayed uh, about his, his sons. He loved his sons very much. He missed his wife. Uh, he told me he loved him. And I would get him, he said, I want you to get me uh, a Walt Disney card, a Mickey Mouse card that I can send to my sons. I guess their birthdays were close together or something like that. But, but he wanted Mickey Mouse cards or Disney cards to send them for their birthday. And I, that was the hardest thing to find, you know. But, he, but I just want to leave you with this. And right to the very end when he grabbed my hand like he did with Ron in that hospital bed. He, he grabbed it, he looked up to me, and he says, uh, he was remembering uh, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the gentleman that he used to work with in, uh, at IBM. So I think his mind, he must have been on a, uh, something to relieve his pain. But, but, uh, but he, was, he was confident. I could tell that he was, he was steadfast. He knew where he, where he was going. And uh, so... I, so hopefully he'll serve me someday, and I'll serve him again. So I look forward to that. Thank you. Mine's real quick. My precious memory of him is way in the back during the two years of COVID. He's masked. I'm masked. Every Sunday we fist bump, and he said with the loveliest twinkle in his eye, I love you. What a terrific way to speak to people on a daily basis. And how sweet 
those are the last words I've heard from him. Hmm. Here and now. From Psalm 90, 1 and 2, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. And from the hymn, O God, our help in ages past. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the storming blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. And then he wrote a prayer. And from Psalm 148, 11 through 13, kings uh, of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children, let them all praise the name of the Lord for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heavens. And from the hymn, all creatures of our God and King. Let all things their creator blessed and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Now, I've read two of them. I asked Ginny um, two weeks ago, I said, would you print me out to John's... Um, called the worships that he did over the years. And um, I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I thought, well, Jenny must have been busy. And then I looked in her office, and there was a stack about this high of, of these called the worships that John did. He labored over each one. He didn't use them twice. He, uh, they were original every time, and John would put great thought into it, as Ron would say, and he would, he would put good thought into everything he did on behalf of the church. And, and I decided not to read all 500 of them or something like that. I don't know what they were, but I used to say of John Kiptick, I said, you know, if you ever had to choose between me and John, you should take John because John is always here. <laughs> And uh, I, don't, I don't know that John ever missed. And even when he was over at, uh, at Brookdale and came over here to church, it was, it's not that far over there. But for John, that was a long way. But he came, and he would sit in that chair. And when they announced the hymn, as hard as it was, he struggled to his feet in order to sing with a congregation. It seems to me that a, a memorial service does three things. Well... At least three things. And the first thing that a memorial service does is it helps provide closure. In this case, it's particularly helpful because no one of us was there when John pushed off from, his, from this world to his eternal reward. John had a long, sometimes lonely fight over the last years of his life. And I think about Dylan Thomas's celebrated poem when I think about John. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of the day. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. And I think that Dylan Thomas hit the spot 
uh, with John, who hung on for several years. But I think that Dylan Thomas missed John on the second verse. In that second verse, Dylan Thomas wrote this, Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. And what Dylan Thomas was saying in that verse uh, was that aged men know that death comes, and they fight death, and they don't go gentle into the good night because their words in this lifetime had little or no impact. I think all of us want impact. And he said, because their words forked no lightning. There was no, nothing left from their, from their words. John was quiet, and some would say, still waters run deep. And John had depth, and his words had gravitas. John's words had impact because he taught the very word of God. John did not go gentle into that good night, but it was certainly not because his words had neither depth nor impact. John left a quiet but distinct footprint, and we are all the less fortunate and sadder for losing him. The second thing I think that a memorial service does is it reminds us of a life well lived. Now, Dave and Margaret probably could share with us a lot more about their lives in Michigan before they came here, before John retired. We knew that John and Sharon did well in their respective careers, John with IBM, as David said, and, and Sharon as a, as a real estate agent. But, but we actually, we as a congregation, know little of John before his retirement. Uh, what, what I can speak of is John's legacy of ministry. And there's much that could be said here. I met John at Covenant Church about 35 years ago. And in time, John and I began to lead the Thursday morning Young Men's Bible Study. We've since had to change the name of the Bible study. That was when we were young men. Dave Young, you were there, okay? You used to be young, Dave. You are, you're still young. David Young. Whenever I had to be out of town on business or was otherwise incapacitated, I could always count on John to be there and carry the ball in my absence. It was comforting to me that I had a ready reserve to jump in for me at any time. And when Bay Presbyterian Church was first started, I relinquished my role as leader of Covenant Church's Thursday morning men's Bible study in order to start a Thursday morning young men's Bible study here at Bay. As I said, name's not too descriptive. Even though John attended church here, he continued to be the regular leader at the Covenant Church Thursday morning men's Bible study. And when the Christian Ed Committee at Bay determined that it was time for a Sunday school class, John was the one who was tapped to lead the effort. He was a faithful servant and minister of the word of God. He was not demanding and uncomplaining and, as has been said, put others first. I think the third thing that a memorial service does is to remind us of the hope laid up for us in heaven. 
During his last days, I was one of many of you who went to either uh, the various care centers or to the hospital. Uh, and whenever I was there, he asked me to read from the book of Philippians. I think that that was his favorite. And we got through um, almost to the end, three plus chapters, and he was particularly moved by the first 23 verses of Philippians 1. So I thought it'd be appropriate to read that uh, afternoon, uh, th that text this afternoon, as uh, the text for us to zero in on. And this is from the Apostle Paul, and he wrote, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of Almighty God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, uh, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. But not only that, I also will rejoice, for I know that that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is much better. So I read this passage, um, and as I did, I, I noticed that there are four things that are particularly relevant to our gathering here today. The first of those is that God will complete his work by the day of Jesus Christ. So says verse 6 in this passage that we just read. The Bible teaches that we are, in fact, three-time losers. 
better explain that. What I mean when I say that is that the Bible teaches that we are sinners by nature. Paul tells us that, that we are sinners by imputation, which means that when Adam sinned in the garden, he was representing every one of us, and we bear the consequences out of Adam's action. And we sin by our deeds. Nature, imputation, and deeds, three-time losers. We're deserving of God's judgment in our natural state, but God, knowing our condition, and out of his great love for us, set in motion a plan, coming to a head at the advent of his son, Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, and he bought the forgiveness of our sin with his own blood. I know people say, well, it's just not fair that God would impute Adam's sin to us. And you might say that, but then it would be equally unfair that God would impute our sin to Jesus and that he would die for our sin. They're both true. God applied the redemption that he accomplished when, he first, when we first believed the glorious gospel and promised that he would replace these tents that we call bodies with a permanent room. Yes, even a mansion in heaven. And he won't quit working for us until we make it home to heaven. John's work is now completed and he is now home. There's a second relevant piece that I see. It's in verse 13. He says, so my imprisonment in the cause of Christ. So in context, Paul was speaking of a jail with chains, gruel to eat. But it's also true that we're imprisoned by these bodies. And as long as we're wearing skin, which is to say we're imprisoned in these bodies, we are working for the cause of Christ. John never gave up. He never quit teaching, even lying in a near fetal position in the hospital. He ran the race. He fought the fight. He finished the course. Now John is adorned with a crown of righteousness. I think there's a third relevant piece in this text, uh, and, it's, uh, and that is that there's a purpose for living. Everyone needs a purpose for living, a, as the French would say, raison d'etre, uh, a cause for which to wake up in the morning. John's cause was for Christ, that Christ be exalted in his body. He was not a perfect man. You might get a different idea from listening to the eulogies thus far. But John would tell you that he, is not a, that he was not a perfect man. He would be the first to tell you that, but uh, he would... He was always seeking to glorify Christ to the very end. And the final uh, relevant piece from this text is found in two verses, Philippians 1.21 and Philippians 1.23, where he says, for, me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And second, I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that would be... Not better, much better, is what Paul said. Our great hope and expectation is that heaven is a reality. Now, when the Bible says hope, it doesn't mean like I hope I win the lottery. That is, the odds are 56 million to one. No, the hope is the expectation that we have. So our great hope and expectation is that heaven is a reality, much like 
Denver or Sacramento or Odessa. I just found out two weeks ago that John was from Ukraine. We haven't experienced Denver or Sacramento or Odessa, but we know that they're there. So also heaven is a reality. We know it. We know that it's there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And John heard the call and answered. And now I read in conclusion two brief quotes. The first one from St. Augustine, who said, We have not lost our dear ones who have departed from this life, but have merely sent them ahead of us. So we also shall depart and shall come to that life where they will be even more than, uh, even more dear than ever, as they will be better known to us than ever, and where we shall love them without fear of parting. And the second is a quote uh, from Randy Alcorn's book, Eternal Perspectives. And this is what Randy Alcorn wrote. Death is like a great ocean, and we are on this, on this shore seeing people depart. But every ocean has two shores, and every person we see depart is seen as arriving on that other shore. Death is not the end. Just as birth was our ticket to this world, so death is our ticket to the next. It is less of an end than a beginning. If I told you today, I would, move from the slum, I would move you from the slums to a beautiful country estate. You would not focus on the life you're, you were ending, but on the life you were beginning. Death, though a curse in itself, was the only way out from under the curse. And only because God had prepared a way to defeat death and restore mankind uh, and, his, and their relationship with him. And so we commit John to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, how we thank you for, for John Kiptick and the life that he led among us the encouragement he was to us, the example he set, he set for us. And now, God, as we, as we uh, together bid farewell, we also look forward to, because of his testimony, we look forward to that heaven which lay awaiting us that these earthly tents might be exchanged for a glorious mansion in heaven. Hear us, O oh God. We make our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our strong Savior. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing together the song Majesty, again, repetition being an aid to learning. The words are in your bulletin. And uh, after that, we're going to um, recite in unison the 23rd Psalm. You may already know it. If you don't, we put it in the bulletin for you at the bottom of the inside front cover, and we will recite that together, and then we will be dismissed, and um, 
Linda Story has prepared some uh, light snacks for us that if you want to stay around and chat for a while, uh, you'll have that opportunity. So with that, would you please stand with me as we sing Majesty. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for your presence here today.